Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. And inflation continues to hurt American families. Now President Biden and the Democrats are celebrating the Inflation Reduction Act, which he signed into law recently. But how effective will the bill actually be? Here to discuss, we have Tavi Costa, Portfolio Manager at Crestcat Capital. Tavi Costa, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Tavi, yesterday at the White House's uh, Inflation Reduction Act celebration, President Biden defended his big spending by saying, quote, we spend but we pay. Uh, what's your reaction? Well, I think there is a kind of a lack of understanding from what fiscal spending really does to inflation. Back in the 60s and the 70s, I think there was uh, a general sense from most policymakers that reckless amount of fiscal spending would actually generate inflation. Today, certainly, we don't have that. Um, and instead, we're, you know, still deficits are really high. We haven't even seen a recession. When you have a recession in average all the way back to the 70s, we see an increase of deficit to GDP of about six percentage points. Uh, in the current levels that we are, uh, I think that would be, you know, a very inflationary uh, a backdrop as well. So it's, you know, the agenda, the fiscal agenda has never been so extensive. You have, you know, s somewhat of uh, of an issue in regards to that, the green revolution, uh, you have the peak inequality problems, you have uh, the risk of, of us having to, or the U.S. having to reduce the reliability with China and other places and having to uh, rebuild an infrastructure plan of the U.S. And so all of those things end up being inflationary and student, student debt, uh, loan uh, forgiveness and things like that. All those types of, uh, of policies tend to be very inflationary. So uh, that fits inside of, of what we think is it's a beginning of an inflationary regime. Tavi, the stock market did not join in on the festivities yesterday, uh, had the worst day since the height of the pandemic, losing over 1,200 points. Uh, what's to make of this? Well, I think uh, when you look at central banks today are having to really reinforce this price stability uh, part of their mandate. And that means we're not going to see excess liquidity as we saw before. If you look at global central banks today, their assets have already shrank by about three and a half trillion dollars. You overlay that chart with NASDAQ, it's the same chart. So it's very clear to me that uh, as, as we continue to see central bank balance sheets uh, shrinking over time globally, uh, that should also have uh, a lot of impact on share prices of the overall equity markets here in the US. So it is quite concerning what's happening uh, and I think will continue to be the case. Uh, and it's when you think about just putting to perspective back in 2020 during the March crash, uh, the Federal Reserve, you know, the, uh, today NASDAQ is down close to 30 percent already uh, from its peak, uh, call it 25 to 30 percent. Uh, the prior times that we saw such a decline, uh, the Federal Reserve was basically uh, completely re reversing its policy, meaning uh, either uh, doubling the size of their balance sheet or slashing rates to zero. We're seeing quite the opposite today. We're seeing them increasing rates by 75 basis points or maybe 100 basis points. Uh, and on top of it, selling or reducing their balance sheet by about $95 billion a month. So that liquidity, uh, uh, withdrawal of liquidity in the system is going to be a big deal. Now, I see some analysts are predicting a 100 basis points rate hike from the Federal Reserve next week. Um, is that your expectation? Well, I don't think I have really an edge to say if it's 75 or, or 100. I probably, if you put me on the spot, I'll probably say I think we're going to see a 75 basis points increase. Um, but I, I'm not sure 
um, you know, anybody really knows that that answer for that. Um, I do think that it's sustainably, it's it's sort of impossible to see uh, much of a, a much bigger move uh, of tightening going forward. I mean, I do think the global economy cannot handle this this level of tightening of monetary conditions and financial conditions. Um, you know, if you look at financial conditions, for instance, is they're as bad as they were back in March 2020 today, and we haven't seen the recent lows in equity markets. So all that should translate into, uh, I think, further weakness in, in risky assets as a whole. And it's important to see the break of correlations in general. You're seeing treasury markets also suffering along with equity markets. I think if you're a fund or a pension fund in general, uh, which used to hold treasuries as a way of protection uh, in your portfolio, this is a very, very tough environment. So uh, we're seeing you know, lots of, of issues uh, actually setting off in equity markets. It comes from consumer discretionary. It comes from technology companies. We're yet to see the mega cap stocks really suffer, which I think it's the next leg down. Tavi, we see that retirement accounts have lost trillions of dollars this year because of uh, market volatility. One of our readers uh, has actually complained about the fact that his spouse had to return to work. Do you expect more retirees to be affected and return to work? I think so. And I think, you know, unemployment rates are lagging indicators. Back in the 70s, we had those waves of inflation. We had the first wave in the late 60s, beginning of the 70s, and then the second wave in the mid-70s, and the third wave in the late 70s. But nobody talks about the actual uh, waves of unemployment rates that follow those inflationary problems. And so uh, usually in average, at least in that inflationary environment, what we saw was that after two years of inflation accelerating over uh, 2% or so, it started to accelerate to the upside. It took about two years to start seeing unemployment rates begin to move. And we're at about two years now since inflation began to move. I believe it was in April of 2020. And so I think we're getting pretty close to a, a beginning of, of a move here uh, on, on unemployment rates. And I, I think the Federal Reserve can speak their hawkish language as long as unemployment rates remain low. Uh, once we start seeing that start to move to the upside, I think that's going to make their job a lot, a lot more difficult. Tavi Costa, really appreciate your insights. Thanks for having me. MyPillow CEO Mike Lindell has been targeted by the FBI. Lindell said that the FBI seized his phone on Tuesday after their three cars surrounded him at a Hardee's drive-thru in Minnesota. Lindell said the agents asked him about voting machines in Colorado and a county clerk who oversees elections. The MyPillow CEO said he told the agents he relies on his phone to run five companies and that his hearing device is connected to the phone. Lindell handed over the phone after calling his lawyer. He said he was not given a chance to back up the contents before the FBI took it. Lindell has been an advocate for election integrity and vocal about allegations of widespread election fraud in the 2020 election. In light of the news from Mike Lindell and recent reports of a Chinese spy at Twitter, we have Jason Miller, the CEO of Getter. He was also a senior advisor for former President Trump. Jason Miller, thank you so much for joining us on the Capitol Report. Thanks for having me. Jason, former uh, Twitter security chief, now whistleblower Peter Zatko, made some pretty astonishing revelations on the Hill yesterday. Uh, he alleges that Twitter uh, knowingly allowed a Chinese spy to work at the company. As CEO of a social media company yourself, what do you make of it? And would you think there are some type of best practices in place for these type of situations? Yeah, very troubling revelations from the whistleblower testimony on Capitol Hill yesterday. The fact that Twitter would allow an active agent 
an active spy from the CCP to be infiltrating their midst. And again, to take it that next step forward, though, the reason why they allowed this person to stay in their position was because Twitter is so dependent now on mainland China for revenue streams, they didn't want to upset, they don't currently want to upset the CCP. Now, if I'm Republicans on Capitol Hill, uh, or Democrats should be doing as well, Mark Warner's actually been pretty good on this, uh, the Democrat from Virginia, I hope there are follow-ups and letters being fired off to Twitter saying, who is this uh, CCP spy and why have they not yet been removed from your ranks? Jason, when it comes to security and privacy, isn't this the holy grail of really any platform that relies on the trust of their users? Well, it really is because you're making that pact uh, with your users that you will protect their information, uh, that they will have a safe environment for which to operate from. And especially with something like Twitter, where the other comment that Zacco made was that literally a, a number of employees could go and manipulate or impact user accounts just on their own with no restrictions. That's very troubling, very problematic, because at the moment, Twitter is in many cases the the public utility when it comes to the digital town square around the world. That's why Elon Musk was going after Twitter initially and not going after, say, CNN or the New York Times, because Twitter reaches virtually every country on the planet. And I think that uh, this is part of the reason why we launched Getters, to put some competition into that, to decentralize some of these free speech rights, to make sure that not all of our communications are being held by a company as troubled as Twitter. Really excellent point. Uh, Jason, I'd like, to get, I'd like to ask you about the Chinese-affiliated TikTok. Uh, it's been reported that they're collecting massive amounts of data from Americans, which could ultimately be weaponized against us. Uh, is there anything the current administration can do to stop this? Absolutely. I think that the Biden administration should be putting the request into both Apple and Google Play to remove TikTok from their online stores. I think also that they should consider banning TikTok from the United States. It was something that, quite frankly, I wish President Trump had done before he left office. And the reason being isn't so much that uh, it's not just a matter of the data security. It's even graver than that. Here's my concern. Right now, TikTok's algorithm is very sophisticated. It's very de developed. And as you go through, they're telling you what you're gonna wanna see before you even think that you know what you wanna see. They know how to read your mind better than you do. So let's take our younger people. You can join TikTok at the age of 13. Think about our 13-year-olds today as they become 23, 33, 43. The CCP is gonna have a psychographic analysis of the interests, the desires, the motivating factors for an entire generation of Americans. They will know more about our own people than we do. Think then how that impacts election interference, impacts thoughts of, as say, China goes to invade Taiwan. Uh, and what they can do with manipulating what information is seen, what isn't seen. And it's really scary, again, these psychographic footprints, psychographic analyses that they're going to have on millions of Americans. That's a national security threat. Speaking of data, uh, Trump supporter Mike Lindell has uh, had his uh, phone confiscated as of last night by the FBI, uh, allegedly. Uh, we're seeing a rather ominous pattern here, Jason. As someone who worked for the former president and knows him well, uh, what's your reaction to all of this? Well, I'm very troubled by the politicization of these law enforcement moves, and with particular uh, regard to Mar-a-Lago. There still hasn't been anything that's been put forward saying that any uh, item that President Trump had there, um, whether it was declassified or not, 
it was a national security threat. And what we're rapidly becoming are uh, Cuba or Venezuela or any of these authoritarian governments where the criminal justice system or law enforce, enforcement is just an extension of whoever's in power. The concern is then, let's say Republicans take over, do they then seek out retribution using the government and uh, law enforcement and things of that nature against the Democrats? And then Democrats take over and the cycle continues. That's not how America is supposed to work. I'm very concerned that so much of this is all about politics. I mean, take a look at uh, Letitia James, the Attorney General of New York, actually campaigned in 2018 on locking up President Trump. So guess what she's trying to do now that she's the Attorney General of New York? Lock him up. Fannie Willis, the DA in uh, Atlanta, uh, who has formed the grand jury to look into Trump and Trump-related uh, uh, orbit or people in the, the Trump broader Trump circle, also very politically motivated. The concern here also is that Americans start to lose all confidence in the FBI, in our DOJ, and especially with all the turbulence we've seen over recent years with the, the Mueller witch hunt and things of that nature, uh, I worry about our being able to put the genie back in the bottle here. Getter CEO Jason Miller, really appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.